Hi. Well, good morning, everyone. I was just enjoying the music and enjoying hanging out. We could do that for a little while, huh? <laughs> hey, well, it's good to be with you here today. Uh, before I get started with my message, um, we wanted to, in just uh, a moment, we, uh, yesterday was a, a really cool day for us at Seacoast. So it was uh, January 21st, 2023, and we celebrated Doris, who's part of Seacoast, who was born on January 21st. 1923. So uh, we brought her a hundred flowers yesterday. Yeah. She, I'm, I'm telling you, before COVID, she was still, anyone who has, uh, who had a baby in the nursery before COVID, Doris has taken care, she was our oldest volunteer. Um, here's a funny, this is a good story. She's probably watching right now. So uh, a few years ago, uh, we sent out some communication and said, hey, we want you to use um, we're, we're not using, uh, we went from like paper to digital. And we said, so anyone who wants to know about this, make sure you can use your device at home and you can log in. And we created this account. So Doris, at the time, she was probably like 96, emailed in and said, hey, I'm having trouble logging in. Can you help me with this? And we're like, oh, sure, we will. Literally, literally, 20 minutes later, she goes, never mind, I got it figured out. It was just my iPad. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway. Whatever you have to say, you have no excuse for anything when you have someone like Doris. But um, Doris uh, is probably watching right now, uh, either this service or next. And uh, one thing that yesterday, it was really cool. Sorry, I'm fighting my mic here. Uh, one thing yesterday is, uh, so we were at this party celebrating her, and she literally started speaking without any notes. She had all this stuff memorized. Uh, and, and someone said, what's your key to a long life? And she said, you know what it is? It's grace. And then she went off and said, starts quoting Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and it's by grace you've been saved, and starts preaching the gospel, and said, so because of God's grace, I have a passport to heaven, and I hope all of you have a passport to heaven, because I want to see you there, and I was just like, preach it, girl, what is going on? So anyway, so I told her we, we were going to say happy birthday to her, so we're going to take our camera and pan, and would you guys just kind of stand up and wave at the camera and say happy birthday to Doris right now, so he's in the back. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> Doris, we, uh, we uh, wish you a very happy birthday, and we're so happy to have you as a part of our Seacoast community, and uh, it's so great to be a part of your life and that you are in our life. So thank you for that. All right, let's uh, pray as we get started. God, we thank you so much for today, and I just thank you for the reminder of just the joy of being in community together. I love being in a church where we have one-month-old babies, and we have 100-year-old saints all together. God, it's a picture of your kingdom. Lord, where you love us and redeem us, and your heart is for all of us, God. So I thank you that we can learn from one another. We can grow together. We can care for each other. We can be there in the hard times and grieve when others grieve, and we can celebrate when others celebrate. God, we thank you that you do not create us and leave us alone, but you put us in community, centered on you. So we thank you. We give you this time now, Jesus, and pray that you would speak to us through your word. In your name, amen. All right, I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. So two spots, so I'll give you like 15 minutes to get there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, they're both in what we call the New Testament, New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, and the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they speak about the life of Jesus. So we're going to get there in a little while. But we're in this series we're calling Healthy Habits. You know, it's in January. We always like to think about what are the, the habits that we want to create for a new year. And if you're like me, they're the same ones I said I was going to start last year and the year before and the year before. But it's okay. We, we start over. But for us, we wanted to take a focus not just on health habits and things like that, but we're focusing on what does it look like to invest in our spiritual walks? What does it look like to be people who are really saying, what does it mean? We want to be disciples, followers of Jesus, and what, how do we grow in that? What are the things that God's invited us into? And that's what we've been looking at. Now, part of these habits are all based on what Jesus has modeled to us. We talked about it a couple weeks ago that Jesus calls us and invites us to be his disciple, which essentially means a student. Some people use the word apprentice. And he's inviting us to become like him. And so we really want to focus as a church community of what does that look like to be shaped into the person of Jesus? And, and we do that as we learn that we are with him, so we spend time with God, we become like Jesus, and then we start to behave the way Jesus would if he were us. That's the goal of, of what it means to be a student. And so we've been looking at that. Now, some people might think that this is this radical call. It's such a different way to live. And I would say, yes, you're right, it is. Back during World War II, uh, a famous pastor, now famous, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, created a, uh, he was just committed to saying, we need to become like Christ. So they started this small community where they were focused on discipleship, really saying we want to study the words and ways of Jesus, and we want to live out his life among uh, others in this culture. It got to the point where actually his family started saying, hey, Dietrich, you're taking this a little too seriously with this, this whole discipleship community thing. And, and so they, they were saying, why don't you just re-enter real life? And there's a famous story where Dietrich takes his brother, and they go, and they, he takes him to overlook a Nazi youth camp. And as he looked at him, Bonhoeffer said to him, he said, what we are doing here in this discipleship community has to be stronger than what they are doing there. What, are we, what we are doing here among us as we're becoming like Christ and learning what that means to allow him to live through us must be stronger than what the Nazis were doing. And I would argue for us today, what we are doing here amongst one another, becoming like Christ, must be stronger than everything we see outside our walls. And I'm not saying an us-versus-them mentality. What I'm saying is the world needs Christians who are captured by the love of Jesus and who live his ways among them. You agree with that? Amen? And so what we are doing in here, becoming like Christ, must be stronger than what's happening out there. Because, friends, I want to tell you this. We are all being discipled by something or someone. Whether you know it or not, you're being changed and shaped into something. So... For us, we want it to be Christ. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. I have it for you. He said, every student, everyone, when they are fully trained, will become like their teacher. See, as a church, what we want to do is we want to become like our teacher, like Jesus. 
And then that is good news, not just for those who are saved, but we believe that's good news for the whole world. As Christians become more and more like Jesus, this is good news for our world, and this is the goal of what Jesus has for us. Now, some of you might think, well, Ryan, aren't you just, when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about becoming like Christ, does this just become a new kind of set of burden on us? Does it become a new set of rules and laws that we must follow and then somehow be, you know, if, as long as we follow and we become like Christ? And I would say this. Uh, one, I, most of us aren't at risk of putting too many rules in our lives as Christians. Would you agree? Most of us are probably on the other side. We're at risk of not having enough structure in our lives. But here's the thing. Rules, it becomes legalistic when it's about earning our way to God. When we think if we do these things, if we involve, if we engage in discipleship, it's so God likes us, he's pleased with us, and then we can be saved and work our way to him. That's, that's religion. But if it's because of what God has done for us, because of the love that Christ has for us, that he has redeemed us, he's saved us, he's rescued us from this world, he's inviting us to know him, our response is we want to become like our Savior. It's not a burden, as Jesus says. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I now give to you this new way to live. Paul actually said this when he's talking about his own. And if anyone understood grace and what it meant to be saved by grace, it was Paul. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets a prize? So in your faith, run is such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for eternity. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer boxing the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I won't be disqualified for the prize. What Paul is really saying is this, is I'm training as a disciple of Jesus because this is the one thing that matters. And it's not about putting far, forth more effort to be pleased by God. It's about training and practicing in the ways of Jesus. Richard Foster said this back in the 70s. He wrote a book called uh, The Celebration of Disciplines, talking about what it meant for discipleship. And he said this, we don't change, we don't, we're not transformed by trying harder, but we can be transformed by training harder. Really what he's speaking about is this, as we engage in these age-old practices that Jesus demonstrated to us, and we train in them, we participate in them, it, something, it opens us up to the Holy Spirit transforming us into something new. So the reason we're talking about healthy habits, and a few weeks ago we looked at the, the habit of studying Scripture. Last week we looked at the habit of Sabbath. How many of you did that this week? Did anyone try just to cut, to stop doing something this week? A few of you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So six of you, great. So this week, let's make it 12 of you. No. Oh man, it's so hard. Even if you just say, I'm taking a Sabbath from my phone, and if you can't do 24 hours, maybe you can do 12, or maybe you can do six hours. But we're looking at, we're training. We're trying these practices, and the point of it is that we can stop we can delight in God, and we can turn our hearts to worship. Uh, I, I read this week, 89% of people check their phones before getting out of bed. 89%. Nobody in here, but it's everyone out there does that. Wow, what if we just 
started our day differently than checking our phones? What if we took a little time in our week where we just told our family, hey, all the devices, all the phones are put away, and we're just going to rest, maybe just be together. So we looked at that habit. It's something we have to train in. That's a hard one. When my wife and I and my kids, we lived in Israel, we were forced to practice Sabbath once a week. It was awesome because nothing was open, and it became just this regular habit. But let me tell you, if things weren't closed, if we, it would be really hard to do it. But uh, it was forced on us, and we learned to love it. So this week, we're going to look at a new habit, and we're going to look at the habit of prayer. We're going to look at the habit of prayer this week. And I've got to admit to you, prayer is not very easy for me. I'm one of those who, when I start praying, it is so easy to, you start, and you're like, I'm on a good track, I'm praying, communicating with God, and then 30 seconds later, I just realized, like, I just planned my day. Like, wait, how did I do that while I was praying? <laughs> or if I'm praying in bed, 30 seconds later, it's the next morning. <laughs> and so for me, it's, I, I've been really working on how can I get back into this regular habit of prayer. I was talking with one of you seacoasters this week who happens to be sitting here. Lisa was telling me this, this week we were talking. She goes, oh, well, I get up at 4.30 and just spend time with the Lord. I'm like, Lisa... Actually, I think it was 3.30, but whenever it was, I told her, you don't get up in the morning, you get up at night. That's not, some of you, prayer is natural. Some of you, it, but, but as Lisa was telling me, it was actually learned. It was, she trained, it became more and more a part of her life. Some of you, it comes very naturally. Others, you're gonna have to fight through it. But we're gonna look at prayer today because guess what? Jesus modeled prayer to us. I have a few verses for you right here. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23 says this, after Jesus had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Look in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 verse uh, 35 says this, in the early morning when it was still dark, Jesus and Lisa got up, <laughs> left the house, <laughs> and went away to a secluded place and prayed. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. If we are to become like our teacher, Jesus, if we want to be shaped into the likeness of him, and remember, Jesus was fully God, walking among us, so he, he kind of had a, a, a step on us, right? But he also showed us how we were truly meant to live. He showed us, showed us what it meant to be fully human, and if he modeled this habit of prayer, then we as his students should take note and say, Lord, how can we too learn to pray? In fact, this is where in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, his disciples were talking to Jesus, and they asked him this, or told him <laughs> this question. They said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? And that's what we want to do. So this is where I want to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 6. And this is the parallel passage to Luke chapter 11. And when the, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He taught them this. And this is what we would know in the church tradition as the Lord's Prayer. Now, when we look at this, I want you to know that this is in the context where Jesus is giving them a model for prayer. And, and he even said, don't be like the Gentiles who pray with this needless repetition as if more words will somehow convince God to hear you. 
But then he gave them this simple prayer. Now, we're going to just look at a few aspects of the Lord's Prayer. Because I don't believe what Jesus is saying is just keep saying this and reciting this. But he showed us a model of what prayer looks like. And here's what I thought we would do, is this might be very familiar to many of you. Uh, We're going to read this prayer together, and some of you, you're going to go into your childhood and say, that's not the right way. We're just going to read this version (laughs) of it. So uh, follow along as we pray this prayer together. Would you read with, with me here? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's how it stops. Oh, I know some of you think it keeps going. That's where he stops. So let's look at this. Let's break it down. Why is this the model? Now, is this the prayer Jesus wants us to pray every day? There's nothing wrong with praying that every day. In fact, I think it's a great prayer to pray. Many of you maybe grew up in a tradition where every Sunday morning you read this, you prayed it together as your church. It's a good thing. But what is the model? What is Jesus demonstrating? So we're going to break it down uh, a few, kind of quickly break it down and go through some of the lines. Notice how he starts. Father who is in heaven. He starts it off with this idea of who God is. He's God the Father. Now, I know for some of you, when you hear God the Father, that, you, that brings up some images and some ideas that are really difficult. Maybe you had a difficult father. Maybe you had an absent father. And it's hard for you when you think of God as a father. You think, ah, oh, can he be something else? Just anything other than a father. But when we think of God as father, this is actually a good father. The father, the way fathers are intended and designed to be. And all of us who are fathers, we fall short. So we are not the model either. But this is the example of a good father, one who loves you, who loves to be with his kids. One of the things I love most about remembering when my kids were little was that when you come home after a day of work or anything, and you open the door and you hear like the stampede of feet coming through the house to see you, Dad, Dad, can we go jump on the trampoline? Can we go do this? Can we do all of these things? To which usually at the end of the day you're just thinking, no, yes, I guess. (laughs) And now, of course, as my kids are older, I would love that, right? But this is when they come and they say, Dad, Dad, you're home. They're just happy you're there. And they just wanted to be with me. I, I find now my, my closest example I now have to that is I have two golden retrievers. <laughs> and golden retrievers are the perfect animals. They're actually God's perfect creation. That's why. Notice I said I have dogs, not cats. That was from the enemy. But <laughs> because... When I come home, my, my golden retriever, especially I have a one-and-a-half-year-old now, who when I come home, you would think that I've been gone for 10 years. He runs around, he picks up a shoe, he brings it to me, then he runs somewhere else and comes back like, I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. I can be gone for two minutes, and I come back. He's like, oh, it's so awesome that you're here. Uh, yesterday morning, we walked to the grocery store on our morning walk, and I, I lock him outside. I went and did my shopping, and I came out, probably was gone for two and a half minutes, and, and he saw me like, oh, I knew you'd come back. It's so, it starts running in circles. It's this image of just like, Dad, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. 
So when Jesus says, our Father, he's giving us the image of the Father you just want to be with. You just want to go and, and sit and delight in his presence. So the Lord's Prayer actually starts not with, Lord, here's the things that I need. But Father, I just delight in you. Just thank you for being who you are. She says, our Father who's in heaven. Now, heaven is a tough word for us in English because most of us have images of heaven that is somewhere far away. When we think of heaven, we think that it's somewhere past the clouds, right? Certainly, it's not below the clouds, and it's pretty distant, and it's this other place where good things happen and where people wear white robes and where it's kind of mellow and, and there's no conflict, and that's heaven. So, Father, up there, somewhere distant, but that's a very uh, in, un, improper or unclear view of what heaven means, and it's not actually a biblical view. See, heaven is this spiritual realm. Uh, often, actually, the Hebrew and Greek call it the heavens, and it, it's not just one locale. It is the place, the spiritual world where God reigns, and it is among us. It is around us. We're in it. So our Father in heaven, it's not a distant prayer. It's our Father who is present, who is as close to us right now as ever could be. Father, you, you are right here with me. So Jesus has us orienting our hearts around taking delight in the Father who is near, not far. So the model really is, would we, when we start our prayers, can we start just delighting in God? And I've been trying to now, as I walk my dog in the morning, to use that time instead of start off the day being busy. You know, maybe sometimes I used to put on like a podcast or music or whatever. Now it's just, God, I'm going to go in silence and just try to delight in you. To delight. Then he says, hallowed be your name. This is essentially saying, God, your name is holy. Holy in scripture is this word, it doesn't, uh, it, it, it means it's separate than, it's other than, there's no one like you, you're set apart. Uh, the opposite of to be holy, that's why when we say do not blaspheme the name of God, blaspheme actually means to make, take something and make it common. So when you take this holy, separated God who's other than, that no one is like him, and you use him as he's just a common God, that's blaspheming his name. It's taking that which is other than and saying, oh, you're just normal. That's to blaspheme the name of God. So he's saying, holy is your name. You are other than. You are separate. We are delighting in everything that you are. And if for you that's kind of hard in your prayer life, like I don't know, just start saying you are comments to God. You are good. You are great. Maybe you're walking and you see the beautiful sunset or you see the sunrise or whatever time you're up or you're near the beach. God, you are such an amazing creator. You are good. You are with me. Delight in him. Remind him who, who he is. He's already told you. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. This idea is orienting your, lives, your life now in the kingdom of God. This is saying, God, just as your kingdom, let that be the rules, let that be the structure in which I live my life. Your kingdom Here's the thing, friends. God's kingdom is so different than the kingdom of this world that we live in. God's kingdom we've talked about is so upside down. God's kingdom is one where those who have strength will give up that strength for those who are weak. 
God's kingdom with those who have much are willing to give much to help those who have little. God's kingdom says it's not about getting ahead and being better. It's about taking what God has given you to serve and be with the least of these. God's kingdom just shifts everything that this world tells us is what you want. You have to be the best, the top, ahead of everyone. And if you get there, then crush those under you. That's not God's kingdom. He flips it upside down. God's kingdom is different. So when we pray, we say, God, we want to orient our lives about your kingdom. Let your kingdom come in my life. Let your principles reign with me. So when we look around and we see a world that's increasingly divided, a division that creeps into every church around the country too, where we start to feel like, do we, do we fit with each other? We have different worldviews. We, th- we think differently. And we, we start to feel like we're in the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that says we might be different, but we love each other because of Christ. We might have a different color skin, but we are brothers and sisters because of Christ. We might have different socioeconomic background, but I am with you and I am for you because we are in Christ. The world doesn't work that way, but in the kingdom of God, it does. So God, as we, as we pray, before we even, notice we haven't asked for anything yet. It's, Lord, we delight in you. God, this is who you are. Let your kingdom be the framework on which I live. Your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. That idea of let your will be done in my life. Not mine, yours. So that's how Jesus has us start his prayer. Notice that this prayer, the first half of it, helps us to see, to make no mistake about who is king and who is Lord. We find through this prayer, it's saying, God, you are overall, I I recognize you're king, I'm not. You are God, I am not. This is how you start your prayer. And then, for those of you who are wondering, he does get into the ask. After we orient our lives around the kingdom, then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide our needs. Jesus teaches us to pray that. It's okay to pray that. In fact, he told us to pray that. And then forgive our sins as we forgive others. Don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. This idea of God, direct and guide my steps. Keep me from the temptations of the world. Keep me from living according to the standards of the world. But notice that after we orient our hearts under the kingdom and who God is, then we ask. And this gets to an interesting question I want to deal with the rest of the time. The question is this. Do our prayers change God's plans? Why do we ask? Do our prayers change things? Or are they just some exercise that we do for fun? What do our prayers accomplish? Or do our prayers only change things to get us to see what God was going to do anyway? It's an interesting question. And to answer that, let's talk a little bit about the nature of God. First thing we know is this. Through Scripture, we're told, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we're told that Jesus Christ, who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that God doesn't change. Who he is is the same as he's always been. From eternity past to eternity future, he doesn't change. So our prayers aren't going to add on to who God is. You with me on that? 
He is fully sufficient in and of himself. He's not going to change and become something new. As soon as he becomes something new, he's a God who's growing, who's learning, who's getting better or bigger or something, and then he's no longer all-powerful, omniscient, all of those. So we know he doesn't change according to Scripture. The other thing we know, that his purposes are unmoved. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. It says, Remember the former things, those days long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So we know through Scripture, if God doesn't change, we know that His purposes do not change, then why do we pray? Why does Jesus invite us to ask? When he tells us how to pray, he tells us to ask God for things. Let's look at this. Go to Luke chapter 11 right now. We're going to confuse you a little bit more. I'm working through this right now in my own mind. I'm trying to figure this out. Luke eleven five. So we know God doesn't change. So we know he's king over all. We know his plans cannot be moved. And yet, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Let's read this. Jesus said to his disciples, after teaching them the Lord's Prayer, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't give up and get, get up and give you anything. That sounds like a pretty normal picture, isn't it? You, you go to a neighbor in the middle of the night and knock and say, hey, give me some food. I have to entertain uh, this, some people who've come in from out of town. And he says, I'm already in my bathrobe. My kids are asleep. Leave us alone. I'll feed you breakfast. <laughs> Look at verse 8. Jesus says this. I tell you, even though your friend will not give up and get up and give you any bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity... He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What? <laughs> Jesus said this. Because of your audacity, your shameless audacity to ask, he will get up and give you what you need. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? That's a fair question. <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, how many dads of your kids come in and ask you for an egg? Sorry. <laughs> I have teenage boys who work out. They ask for eggs every day, so never mind. If he asks for eggs, will you give him a scorpion? <laughs> this, by the way, in the first century would have been funny. To us, we're just going, okay, you know. They were laughing at Jesus. Like, that's ridiculous. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hmm. So somehow in this whole idea of teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus said, invited us to ask. and said, ask and seek. Now, what do we ask for? He doesn't actually specify, but once we orient our hearts under the kingdom of God, my guess is our asks change a little bit. 
as we orient our hearts under the kingdom of God, we're probably, our prayers might be a little different. You know, it might be like, Lord, you know, with these lotto ticket numbers, can you just make mine work this time? I, Lord, if I win, I will give you 30, 25% of the winnings, Lord. <laughs> just, I, I promise you. I, I don't know if that's, I mean, ask, you can ask. You can have audacity. I don't know if that's what it is. But what about this? We have friends here at Seacoast who are going through cancer treatment. Should we ask God to heal them? Is that too much? I can tell you this much. I'm asking. I'm flat out saying, God, you know what? I know you can do what you're going to do, and we want your will to be done, but I want your will to be heal our friends. That's my prayer. I don't think God's up there like, whoa, whoa, Ryan, hold on. Hold on. Slow your roll. Why? Don't quit asking for these things. He said, ask. Now, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but why not? Lord, our family's struggling financially. Would you help us to find the way through this? Why not? Why not ask? God, our hearts are oriented. On, we know you're the good Father. We know you're a Father of love. We know you hold all things in your hands. God, we are asking for these things. Now, I will tell you this. There are times in my life or my wife and I have prayed, and maybe we didn't get what we thought we needed, but we got exactly what we did need. Or God answered it, and it was very different than we thought. Some of you might be asking for more, and God is looking at you and saying, you know what you need? You need less. Because more is pulling your heart further and further away from the kingdom of God. So I'm going to answer your prayer and help you to know who you can really trust in. I know for me, uh, in our family, I'm very thankful for a season in our life where, you know, our, when we first started marriage, where we had very little, and we had to lean on each other and God. That's all we had. Had kind of normal life, uh, normal jobs. Came back, you know, moved away, came back to the United States in 2008 when the economy had fallen apart, and we were back to, we felt like square one. And I love to see how God showed up in different ways. He didn't show up with someone offering us a ton of money. He didn't show up with us getting all the stuff that we ever wanted, but in little ways. We always had everything we needed. Now, what we lived on was far less than we thought we needed, but God kept showing up. But ask. He tells us to ask. So do it. Be bold. Then I will say, as our hearts are oriented under the kingdom, our hearts are towards delighting in the Father. We trust that what He does is good. That's the difference. My kids ask me, especially when they're younger, for a lot of things. And you know what? As a father, I wanted to give them everything they wanted, everything they asked for. I will say, I was not good around Christmas time. I'm just going to confess right now before you. I did not stick to a budget very well because it's so fun to be like, oh, I'm going to give them this and that, and, and I'm going to just lavish gifts on my kids. I loved that. It was so fun. Now I don't, but then I did. <laughs> Our Father loves to lavish His goodness on us. But even in that, there's times when I look at my kids and I say, this, you don't need this. This isn't going to be for your good. A car that can't go over 50 miles an hour, that's for your good. <laughs> <laughs> a 
so our Father knows what we need, but He's never offended when you ask. Because when we come to Him, we're coming to Him saying, we know you hold all things in your hand. You are king over creation. You are the God of the universe. So we come to you. And we trust that whatever we get, your will be done. It's good. We accept it. But we ask. Psalm 37, verse 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, there's, there's two ways you can read that. One way is, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you everything your heart desires. But notice what he says, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will place those desires in you. I believe, I believe that the more we delight in God and who he is and orient our lives under him, what we desire starts to become what he desires. We start to align with what the Spirit's doing in us, and the things that we are seeking are things that He is seeking. The very next verse says this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him. So it's not just delight yourself in the Lord and you get what you want, it's delight yourself in the Lord and the desires of your heart start becoming kingdom desires. They start to match with what the Spirit's doing in you. The, the very things that you're seeking for are the things that God wants for you and for your community and for those around you. So would we, this healthy habit, this challenge that we have is can we become people who take each step to pause, orient our lives to the to delight in God, and boldly go before his throne. time that works for you that you can do all the time I try to end my day in prayer and yes I often wake up the next morning but I love ending the day God just thank you that you've been I try to begin the day before I get out of bed Lord this day is yours open my heart to whatever you're doing dog because I know I have to do that. us have a lion inside of their lungs. Some have kitties, but <laughs> you know what's funny? The first time I heard that song, I was like, oh, that's a cool song, but I felt a little awkward of the, quit being, just come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. But then I read about Jesus who tells us that we are in Christ and his spirit now is in us. Paul reminds us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And then Jesus says, come 
boldly before the throne of grace. Don't be shy. Your Father loves you. You're His. I love that. God, we thank you so much for you, your love for us. I thank you, Lord, that even though we fall short, and God, our souls get shy. And Lord, there's times when we wonder if we could even come to your throne because we're filled with guilt or shame or god we wonder if you even care about our prayers you wonder if you even care about our life and all through scripture you keep telling us yes i do you are mine you are my treasured sons and daughters i love you i am for you i am with you i will never leave you or forsake you god thank you for those truths help us to be people who walk with you who delight in you and God, who come to you with all the big and small issues in our lives. That we may more and more be transformed in the image and likeness of your son. We thank you and give you this time in your name. Amen. Challenge this week. We're adding them up. We do want to challenge you to engage in scripture. As a church, we're reading through the New Testament this year, one chapter a day. Try to take a Sabbath even if it's just from something that occupies your mind. Start small. Try it. Let's develop a habit of prayer. If you're like me and it's hard, start somewhere. Jesus taught us to pray. He modeled it. It's part of our training to be his disciples. So thanks for being here today. Uh, we do have an elephant room discussion tonight. If you're interested in coming to it at 6 p.m., we're looking at the biblical view of sexuality, light topic. So, uh, and I uh, encourage you, say hello to the person you said hi to earlier. Go grab some coffee together, and we hope to see you next week.